thanks for downloading the audio podcast of this week's sermon. We pray you'll be blessed and encouraged with the words you hear. Why do we do communion? And where does it say in the Bible that I have to become a church member? So please, please, can you do me one thing this morning? Don't turn off if you've been baptized. And don't turn off if you haven't been baptized and you feel that it's not for you. Please don't turn off because you take communion every Sunday. And please don't turn off if you're either a member or you don't feel the need to become a member. But I'll I'll cut you a bit of slack here. If you've been baptized and you take communion and you're a church member, you can have a wee sleep. How's that? So that's a good deal, isn't it? So is water baptism necessary? Why do we do communion? And where in the Bible does it say that we have to become a church member? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, I think that this is probably a good place to start. Baptism is a commandment, and we will look at that shortly. And communion, as we already know, is a celebration. And membership is a commitment. So baptism is a, is a commandment, isn't it? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, you'll know it ever so well, verses 19 and 20. It's the last two recorded verses in Matthew's gospel, where Matthew is saying, go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Of course, he's quoting Jesus by saying, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all, all that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Communion is a celebration. Jesus clearly instituted the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, communion. Uh, you know, there are different ways to, to, to name it or call it or title it. But he clearly instituted the table as he and his disciples celebrated the Passover meal because that's what they were doing the night before Jesus hung on the cross. They were obeying the law. They were celebrating the Passover, which, of course, um, reflected back, didn't it, upon that time in Egypt where the angel of the Lord passed over those houses that had the blood of a lamb that had been sacrificed and had been spilt and then applied upon the, uh, the door frame. And the angel of death passed over that house. And those houses that didn't have the covering of the blood then were, were sentenced. And so we we see that clearly in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22. And here's what Jesus says in, in Luke 22. It says that after he took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. These are words that you already know so well. You could come up and you could quote them yourselves without even looking up your Bible. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying this cup that is 
poured out for you is the new covenant. It's all about covenant, isn't it? It's about covenant relationship that we enter into with God the Father. And then membership is a, it's a commitment. See, Jesus talked a lot about discipleship. He didn't let us off the hook. He talked a lot about picking up our cross daily and following him. And he talked a lot about the unity of believers and the unity within the body of Christ. And so in Acts chapter 2, it records for us both the attitude and the activity of those who had turned from their old sinful lifestyle to follow Jesus. And we will look at that shortly. And they were fully committed to every aspect of church life. In fact, in Acts 2 and 42, it says this, it's recorded, that they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That one little verse just towards the end of chapter 2 of, of Acts really says it all. So let's take a wee look first of all at baptism because that is obviously one of our big focuses for the next few weeks. So is baptism really necessary? Absolutely, 100%. Because it's a commandment of Jesus. In fact, it's the very last thing that he said for us to do. It's his very, very last spoken words before he left this scene of time and before he ascended back to heaven. And it's well, a well-noted fact that the last words of, of an eminent person or the last command of any great leader are among the greatest instructions, or they are the greatest instructions and most significant things that they have to say if it's going to be their last words. Of course, Jesus said, didn't he, go into all the world. We heard last week from Craig Brotherson, uh, who's taking his four young girls, his four young children, him and Abby, and they're going to Estonia in the, in the summertime. If you weren't here, if you haven't picked up that as a podcast, then go on to uh, Balamani Elam to our website and click on the, the sermon or the podcast tab and you'll find it. There's also some little booklets at the back there uh, which have photographs of the family, a little bit of information. Uh, please do sign up also to um, give your email for the newsletter. Just wee things like that to keep you informed as what some of the folks who are colleagues of ours are doing within Elam Missions. They're going into all the world to make disciples. And so baptism, again, if you're making notes this morning, we're just breaking it down into these small points. First of all, and we've already said that baptism is scriptural. We've already said, and we know in our hearts that Jesus commanded it. But he himself also submitted himself in humility, and he was baptized in order for him to fulfill scripture. It's recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as he insisted that John the Baptist, who was, of course, a distant relative of his, who was the forerunner of his, Jesus insisted on obeying the law and fulfilling the requirements of water baptism that is right for every believer in God. So Jesus dotted every I and he crossed every T as far as the law was concerned. He did say, did he not, that he didn't come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. 
And even though if anybody anywhere ever had the right to be above the law, you've heard that phrase, well, nobody's above the law. If anyone ever had the right to be above the law, was it not Jesus? Yes, it was, because he was sinless and he was perfect and he was the son of God. But he did not put himself above the law. He subjected himself to the law. And then throughout the book of Acts, there are numerous examples of when people got saved. And this is the key to it. If you're still awake, and I think most of you are, the key to baptism in the New Testament, as far as we see in the book of Acts, is that there's a model. And the model is this, and the model is simple. You get saved, and you get baptized. No flaffing about, no waiting, no baptismal courses, no let's wait to see if this person sticks the pace. Let's see if they're still running with the Lord in six months' time. Let's just, you know, they're a bit dodgy, that person, aren't they? Let's just see if, if it's genuine. No. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and I'm going to prove it to you with five examples, that every time that somebody got saved, they were immediately baptized in water. They fulfilled the law. They were obedient to the commandment of Jesus. There was no hemming and hand and no flapping about. That is exactly what they did. They did what it said on the tin. Salvation, then immediate baptism was the given order. Number one, again, if you're making notes. Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. After Peter's first and arguably his best sermon was preached after the Holy Spirit burst forth into that room of 120 people that, that day of Pentecost, Pente being 50, 50 days after um, uh, Jesus had been risen from the dead, 10 days after he had ascended to heaven, they were in the upper room and they were waiting again. Why? Because Jesus had commanded it. Go into Jerusalem and wait and tarry for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they did. They didn't know it would be 10 days. For all they knew, it could have been two days, six days, a fortnight or two months. I don't know. And they didn't know. But they tarried and they waited and the Holy Spirit came in a mighty way with tongues of fire and baptized them in the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and languages. And the people who were there for Passover, who were from other lands and languages, heard them doing what? Praising God in their own languages. And what happened? Peter preached the sermon. He did a really, really good preach. And 3,000 souls were added that day. It says those who had received his word, received his word and believed, were baptized and there were added 3,000 souls that day. Acts chapter 8 and verse 34, that, that beautiful story of where Philip Philip, who was an evangelist, who had um, been uh, in Samaria, where there had been revival. He had been there. He had called for reinforcements. And then what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, I want you to go into the desert. Now, I'm sure that was a strange thing for Philip to do because he was been asked to leave the place of revival where people were getting saved and lots of great things were happening to go to the desert. But there was a reason because there was a man there that Philip had to meet. 
and he was the Ethiopian treasurer. And he had been uh, in Jerusalem, he had been worshipping God, and he was of another faith, but he would have been perhaps, I think I'm right in saying like a proselyte, somebody who was, who was wanting to know, know more about God. And of course, the Holy Spirit brought Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, and they met together. The, the eunuch was traveling back in his Rolls Royce and his chariot back to Ethiopia, and he was reading from Isaiah like a scroll. So again, it shows you that this was a man of wealth and a man of knowledge, because not many people would have had a scroll in those days, an actual scroll of, of scripture. And so he was reading from Isaiah, and he's reading about this person who had been beaten and pierced for our transgressions and this this person who he didn't know about but knew that this person had had given his life so that others could have life and so when Philip and the this treasure were uh, united and the chariot must have stopped otherwise Philip would have been out of breath I'm sure running alongside the chariot and he, he he entered into a conversation, and who is this man? And so it says that Philip began where the man was reading. He didn't try and take him on a different journey. He didn't try and explain a whole lot of other theological things and get sidetracked. No, he talked to the man about his query, and he led him to the Lord. And the beautiful verse, and I think it's actually at 34, um, the Ethiopian treasure says, here is water. So he's the one taking the, the, the positive action here. He says, here is water. I have no idea what color the water was or how good or bad it was, but it was a body of water. What prevents me from getting baptized? And Philip's answer to him was, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he was baptized. Now that was the first convert to Christianity, I believe, to go into Africa. So it was significant. Acts chapter 9, verse 18, you know the story so well, not going it, of how Paul, who was going to Damascus, ended up there in a, in a state of blindness as Jesus had met him on the road. And then we hear of this um, disciple of Jesus who lived in Damascus, who obviously, again, was listening to God, the Holy Spirit, at his time of prayer. And he was told to go and meet this man, Paul, who was at, I think it was a, a house in, in the street called Straight. Ananias objected and, and tried to argue with the Lord because he knew who Paul was. His reputation had preceded him. But he went anyhow and he was faithful. He went to the command of the Lord and he spoke to Paul and he laid his hands on him. And not only did Paul receive his physical sight back, but he received his spiritual sight and he got saved. And Paul was immediately baptized. Acts 10 verse 44, another beautiful story. Take some time, folks, even though you'll know these stories, to read them. This one in Acts chapter 10 is a phenomenal story how Peter brings the gospel to Gentiles, uh, the first Gentile converts, really. In Acts 10, 44, this prominent man, Cornelius, had sent to bring Peter to explain the gospel. And so when Peter got to Cornelius' house, there was this crowd of people. There was, there was a meeting all set up for Peter because Cornelius and his relatives and his close friends, if you read it, were there. They were so keen and eager to hear about the gospel. 
And as Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell, fell upon these Gentile uh, people. They began to speak in other tongues. They were obviously saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they were baptized in water because Peter said, how can we refuse water for those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, you can't. That's verse 48. And lastly, and we'll move on from this now, in Acts 16.25, another phenomenal story how Paul and Silas had been beaten. Beaten for sharing the gospel, thrown into prison, and at midnight they were on their Kindle or they were on the computer and they were trying to find out ways to escape from the jail. No, they weren't. They were singing praises to the Lord. They were singing praises to the Lord. And we know the story where the locks were opened and Paul and Silas did not escape. And so the Philippian jailer was about to draw his sword and kill himself because he would have been killed anyhow had the prisoners escaped, especially Paul. And so we read how the jailer took them to his home and he bathed their their bruises and their scars and their wounds. And Paul Give them the gospel. And the Philippian jailer and his household, there was household salvation. And they were baptized. I don't know how they were baptized. In a bath. I saw a beautiful photograph the other day in this prison of all of these prisoners in these um, orange uniforms. Um, lining up, there was a, like a metal bathtub and there was a guy in it. And all these other prisoners were lining up to get baptized. Isn't that beautiful? So the, the idea of an unbaptized Christian in the New Testament and in the early church was simply unheard of. It's scriptural and it's a sign and there's not as many notes for this one, you'll be glad to know. Baptism is a sign to the world, it's a witness, it's a public stand, it's us going for it. It's us nailing our colors to the mast. You see, baptism is a public declaration of a personal decision. And I hope that this platform is filled in four weeks' time on Sunday night, not just with young people, because I'll be honest with you, it's only the young people who have signed up for this already. It's only, it's only young people, and, and give credit to the young people and to, to JT and what he's doing with the youth, but I want to see more than young people getting baptized. It's a public declaration where you can bring your friends and your family and you will be witnessing to them. You'll be witnessing to the world that the old life is gone and the new life has come. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. It's showing forth. It's telling the world that the old life is no more, that Christ is our Lord, our Savior and our Master, that he is in control, that we are no longer sitting on the fence because I'm in I am 100% committed to this. Baptism is also a symbol. Scripture is full of symbolism from cover to cover. It's a symbol of the old life dying and being buried as you go down physically into the water. So that's this, this symbolism as you go down into the water and the new life as you're coming, coming up out, as you rise up out of the water again, the symbolism of, of, of death, life, death, and resurrection into a newfound life of liberty and power. 
Of course, baptism is not salvation. It's not salvation, um, regenerate, baptismal regeneration. It, baptism is like renewing the vows. Like telling Jesus and telling the world that you love him all over again. Pardon me. It's reconfirming and reaffirming our allegiance to Christ. But they are much, much more than signs and symbols. Baptism is about submission. Submitting your will to that of Jesus. Following his example. Listen, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. That's the way I look at it. Following his example and his instructions, being obedient to his command, it's taking our stand publicly, as we've said, and then saying, no turning back. It's declaring this, I will not turn my back on Jesus. Lastly, baptism is all about servanthood. Baptism is a commission to serve. I'll just repeat that. Baptism is a commission to serve. Jesus only began to serve and he only began to minister and he only began to preach and teach and cast out demons and heal people and and perform miracles and miraculous works. He only started to do that after he was baptized. On Tuesday night coming uh, at the Bible study, I'll be speaking on biblical servanthood. And can I encourage you, please, to come out to that? We had a we had a, a, a really, really wonderful time on Tuesday night at our encounter night. We had the most beautiful, beautiful time. Can I encourage you to either connect to our, our Bible study on a Tuesday night or life groups, which are on on a, on a Wednesday night? Uh, or, a, or a Friday morning, we have gone to having five uh, life groups. And if we need more, uh, we, will, we will bring more leaders on board. So can I encourage you, please, if you don't come out on a, on a, during the week, if you don't come out on a Tuesday night, or you don't come out on a Wednesday night or a Friday morning, um, you're welcome to come out Tuesday night and Wednesday night, by the way. Uh, but I appreciate there, there's lots going on. I understand that. I understand that fully. But I just would really love to see you out here on Tuesday night. We endorse everything, of course, that we do in this church. Life groups uh, are so good for getting to know people and connecting with them. So should I get baptized? Absolutely, 100%. Definitely, yes. Do not let the devil rob you of a blessing. Don't let him away with it. If you're not baptized, please speak to us us sometime soon. Communion. Why do we take communion? Well, Jesus instituted it. In the Gospels, we've already covered that slightly at the beginning in our, in our kind of introduction. He introduced it during the Last Supper, but Paul also endorsed it in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23 to 30. And maybe you will turn with me. It's, it's uh, a portion of scripture that nine times out of ten, eight times of ten will be read uh, before a communion service. So if you will turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11 and verse 23. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that the very first time that Esther and I came, September 20. 
too. I, I did preach in the Sunday morning on communion. I preached on Earth's Greatest Table. I'm not going to re-preach that. Please uh, don't think that I am. But I want to highlight just these uh, key elements to us in taking communion, and we will find it in this passage. For I receive from the Lord, verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, that which I also delivered to you, and please don't switch off because these are familiar words to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take it, for this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it and remember to me. So Paul is reiterating, he is reminding the church in Corinth and us today as well of the words that Jesus spoke around the table that night. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, and if there's a, a, a therefore, the word and you have got to see why it's therefore. It's a linking word. It's a bridge. And so Paul's saying, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So that's the, that's the caveat. That's the, the get out clause. Okay, that's what we should be doing. Let a man or a woman a boy or a girl, examine themselves and so let them eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner. So we can actually, during a communion service, which is all about celebration, we can actually be unworthy. You ever think of that? We can actually act in an unworthy manner. Paul says it here. Scripture doesn't lie. He who eats and he drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself because they're not discerning, they're not appreciating the Lord's body. For this reason, we had to tell you folks, you can't get any stronger than this in Scripture. This is really, really strong. This is meaty stuff. For this reason, Paul says, many of you are weak, many of you are sick, and many of you sleep. Now, he doesn't mean having a wee doze. You know what he means. The Lord takes you home. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Strong talk. But that's the truth. See, Scripture not only encourages us, it not only builds us up, it not only teaches us, but Scripture rebukes us when we need it. It disciplines us. And it's important that we listen to the discipline of the Lord. I just want to take these six elements and I'm just going to whiz through them. First and foremost, we look back in thankfulness when we celebrate the Lord's death. Verse 23 and verse 25 of what we read says, On the same night 
in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and in the same manner he took the cup. I've referred to it already. It was the Passover meal. It was the Passover celebration. It was the night of all nights. It was, this was really the pinnacle of, of the celebrations of which there were many feasts and celebrations within Judaism because this is where they stopped and they had a meal and they looked back to what God had done for them in, in rescuing them and delivering them from the slavery and the bondage that was in Egypt to the freedom of the promised land. And so it's a picture of our salvation, as you know already. And then we look up and worship. In verse 24, Paul reminds us that it was his body, his body that was broken. It was his blood that was shed. It's called the Lord's Supper for a reason. It's not our supper. It's not Elam's supper. It's not Balamoni Elam supper. It's not the church's supper. It's the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's table. And then we have to look in, haven't we, in repentance. We've already said that. Let a man or let a woman examine themselves so that he or she can eat in a worthy manner. Every time that we take communion, folks, we've got to take it in a worthy manner. And if there's anything in our hearts, and I'm going to address this shortly, that would, should, bar us from taking of the emblems, then we should simply, embarrassment or none, let the plate pass by. See, Paul says about examining yourself, he doesn't say examine somebody else. He doesn't say, take a wee minute and have a wee look around you and see if there's anyone that you need to examine. Anyone who you think isn't really walking the way that the Lord would expect them to. No. He's not saying even to look at your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter or your dad or your mum or any relation or any friend. No, examine yourself and then look around in fellowship. Three times in this passage we are reminded when we come together is the wording. When we come together, just like we are doing this morning, just like you have done this morning, just like we will do shortly. When we come together. And just like the early disciples were together on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, we shared the bread and we shared the wine with our church family, with one another. We look around in fellowship. That's why it's called communion. Do you notice the last five letters of the word? What is it? Union. It's not there for no reason. Union with one another. Look out and witness. I'll skip on here. Verse 26 states, as often as you eat and drink, you proclaim. You proclaim. You shout out. You tell of the Lord's death. You see, we have a responsibility to go from this communion service to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the salvation of Jesus Christ that people can receive forgiveness of sins they can receive healing in their minds and their bodies and in their relationships. It's the gospel of the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we leave from here to proclaim the Lord's death. Lastly, we look forward in anticipation. Verse 26 states, until he comes. This is Mervyn's favorite saying, and he has many favorite sayings. 
It's one time more, Mervyn, and it's one time less. Isn't that right? You don't mind me borrowing that, sure you don't? Amen. Amen. There's no copyright on these things. One day soon, he will either call us home or he will come back for us. Are we ready? Christian, are we ready? Are we doing our utmost for him? Unsaved friend this morning, when are you going to give your life to Jesus? Don't delay it any longer. You hear it every Sunday, the need to come in repentance like each and every one of us has done and just ask him to forgive you and he'll turn your life around. The biggest challenge for us in Elam, let's be honest, is the frequency, is how often that we break bread together every Sunday morning. I know that different denominations have different ways that they want to do it and some denominations don't break bread and that's up to them. I personally love the breaking of bread service. Personally, I love the fact that we have it every Sunday morning because I've said to you before when I've done the table, for me, it's a reset. You ever hit the wee reset button? I, 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 kind of a, I would be kind of set in my ways a little bit, Esther, I think. So when I fill the car up, I reset the mileage button. Does anyone else do that or am I the only weird person? Right, there's three of us. Four, Tony, I saw you there. I hit the reset button and I, I know I'll get 400 miles or 450 miles out of that tankful. Communion, can I say this respectively, respectfully? When we take a moment to settle our hearts before we take the emblems, as we examine our hearts, we are hitting that reset button. No matter what has gone on with that tank of fuel that we've just run through the car, yeah, whatever's gone through in the week before, whatever we've said, whatever we've thought, whatever we've done, whatever bad attitude we've had, whatever, we can ask the Lord to forgive us. Cleanse us afresh. Hit that reset button. But it is difficult because we celebrate communion every Sunday morning. It can become routine. It can lose the importance of its meaning. But folks, can I say this? Don't let the miraculous become mundane. This is a miraculous table. Miracles can happen when we come round this table. Miracles can happen in our hearts and in our lives when we come in repentance and we come in thankfulness, when we come in surrender, when we come in submission, just like what we were saying with communion. Don't let the celebration become commonplace. May remembering and celebrating the Lord's death never become just something that we do. Don't let it ever become dull or boring or ritualistic or routine. But may it always be joyful and meaningful and a special occasion. And you'll be glad to know our last point, church membership. These all do tie in together, believe it or not. I haven't just picked a few random subjects and said, oh, well, sure, I'll throw that in as well. So where in the Bible does it say that I should become a church member? Honestly, 
It doesn't. Okay, so that's answered your question. But you're not off the hook. Let's look at what those first early converts did once they had surrendered their lives to Jesus and immediately submitted to baptism. I think that's, yes. So you don't need to turn to this, but this is Acts chapter um, 2. In verse 42, we quoted it earlier, but there's much, much more that, um, that Luke is saying here at the tail end of Acts chapter 2. So if you'll bear with me, please don't switch off at this point in time. We're going to lead into communion shortly. They devoted, these are the 3,000 souls that were saved. 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls devoted themselves, I don't know how they did it, a logistical nightmare, I'm sure. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted themselves, we are told, these are, these are really the first, the first recorded converts after Jesus had ascended to heaven. In verse 42, we're getting those first four elements that represent really the core of a worship service, the core of the worship service. So the apostles teaching, not claiming to be apostle, but, you know, on a Sunday morning, we we get teaching, preaching or teaching. We are taught the Bible. We have fellowship together, not only as you're fellowshipping now, you fellowship probably before and after the service. You will chat with one another. You will be encouraged, hopefully, with one another. We will break bread together, and, and we have had prayers, and we will pray as well. These are the four kind of core elements that, that represent our worship service. In verse 43, they experienced the miraculous. What does it say? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Verse 44, we see their unparalleled unity. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, we see their unrivaled generosity. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The, the church was beginning to grow. It had, it had exploded, evangelism explosion, you've maybe heard of, 3,000 souls added to the church that day, and, and all those people needed some sort of uh, pastoral care, and they, and they needed, many of them were widows, and many of them needed help, they needed the food bank, the first ever food bank was started in, in the book of Acts, when deacons were, were, um, were, were brought in and, and selected to help those who needed food. And so we, we see their generosity. In verse 46, we see again the repetition of fellowship and unity and communion. 
In verse 47a, we see their worship and their praise and their thanksgiving. This became a great witness. Why? Because they enjoyed, listen to the word, favor. They enjoyed the favor with all the people. And then lastly, in verse 47b, we see evangelism and we see salvation. So the Lord added daily to those who were being saved. So we see the cycle. People were getting saved. And because the, those who were being saved were being obedient to God's word, they were baptized without even being asked. Well, they were asked and they did it. And then they came together and they broke bread and they listened to the teaching of the apostles. And they prayed and they had fellowship. And then they gave. They gave of their money. And, and they, uh, they had favor with people and they praised the Lord and, and they went out and they witnessed and then more people got saved. And so that's how the early church got built up. Folks, soon we will have a, a membership morning as well. A number of folk are already looking forward to joining with us as members. So please speak to myself or one of the elders if you want to, to know more. Just want to add in a little side note, but it's a very, very important note. We will also be strengthening our leadership team soon, and we will be appointing some new elders in addition to, to Mark and Johnny. Would you pray with us, pray along with us, pray for us, that we would know the mind and the will of God for our church here in Balamani, Elam. And so, as a member you too will strengthen our work and our witness as we seek to glorify God here in the town and beyond, as we endeavor to have favor with all the people and extend his kingdom here on earth. So is water baptism necessary? Absolutely, 100%. Why do we do communion? It's a celebration. And it's the most loveliest thing that we can do each and every week. And membership is a commitment. I hope this morning, I know it's been a long preach, a long teach, but I hope this morning that it's helped somebody here. I hope that you've drawn something from it. And I just, I'd like us to pray now, and then I'm going to invite Adele and the team to come back up, and we're going to sing that beautiful, beautiful old hymn before we break bread together. King of my life, I crown thee now, Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me. That's why we do communion every morning. So that we don't forget. And so that we're led to Calvary. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word encourages us and builds us up and strengthens us in our faith. We thank you, Lord, that your word instructs us and teaches us. It uh, explains the way of the gospel, but it also teaches us the commandments of Jesus. Your word also is there to discipline us. Your word is there that if there are things in our lives that are not right, that it exposes those things. Why? So that we can become better people, that we can become uh, greater servants of yours and better disciples, that when you expose things in our hearts, Lord, that we put them right with you. 
And so, Lord, I pray now, Lord, as we come round the table, Lord, I pray that you would continue, Lord, to bless our hearts, continue to open our hearts, and continue to fill our hearts, we pray, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like any more information, have a look at our website at www.ballymoneyelam.com.